This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, guys. Good to be back. Land Legacy Podcast. We are uh, riding the high now. We were down on the dumps over the last couple of weeks. I don't know if people figured it out or not, but we weren't the most positive group of group of guys for hunting and uh, hunting in early to mid November. Um, as we rolled into, you know, as a, as a bow hunter in Missouri, I would say that we love the first two weeks of November and the last week of October. Um, and we typically don't like the, the week of gun season. And, uh, that is very true for a lot of people and, and especially true for us at land legacy. I mean, not to say that we don't have fun during gun season, but if the, if the goal is to harvest deer, mature deer, uh, we are feeling the pressure as we get closer and closer and closer to gun season. And, uh, that was really the case this year so far as uh as we kind of rolled through november and we hit uh november and the weather just flat out i can't think of a better way to say it but it sucked the weather stunk i mean it was terrible 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 in the words of charles barkley i mean we're talking Record highs, I think, is what some people said. It was in the 70s, almost 80, um, several days, high winds. Combine that with record white oak acorn crop, not just in the white oaks, but the post oaks as well. Um, and chinkapin oaks, all the, the white oak family just was laying out the acorns. And so, which always makes it tough in timber country. And, um, then you add the poor weather on top of that and, um, it just flat out stunk. And uh, yeah, there there was a lot of scenarios and things, variables that played into leading up to our time right now that, that just made some things challenging throughout the year. And we're not sitting here, you know, making excuses. They just are what they are. And, And I think anyone, any hunters hearing these, uh, variables that are out of con- their control are like, yeah, that, that paints a pretty bleak picture for getting on deer I, or at least having deer consistently moving during daylight hours. And for a, for can, our guys, Chad, you ought to turn your camera on so we can see you when you're talking. So we're not interrupting each other, but for, for guys in timber country, we know of record acorn years. And I know there's guys in Southern Iowa and other places that really can't fathom that. So I'll give a scenario for them that can be somewhat relatable. Imagine a year that the corn, it's too muddy to get in the field. So the corn is still standing into November. I think everybody can understand that when they roll into a crop country and they're like, oh, corn's still standing. They know they're in for a a pretty rough hunt. And, And so for us, that's very similar to what record or years with heavy mass production is like, Yep, very similar to hunting crop country when the corn's not been cut. I can I can sum up how bad the weather was. 
I take that full week off to bow hunt and I did not hunt two of those days. Yeah. It was just like, terrible. You leave for two days and not even hunt. Yeah. It was just, it was, uh, it was pretty brutal. And, um, for a lot of our, I'm, I know I had clients and listeners messaging in saying, ah, it's slow. You guys see anything? I'm like, we're seeing things, but not what we should be seeing for November 5th, November 6th, November 7th. It's just not happening. And uh, a couple mornings where we, we got into like a little flurry of rut activity. And I was like, oh, okay, hey, this is what we would like to see. But it was just the short spurts of right place, right time, not the train of deer moving through and multiple chase sequences throughout a morning situation. Plenty of deer to encounter, but man alive, it was few and far between of those good quality rut experiences. No doubt. No doubt. And it was, uh, you know, as we rolled in, now we've got, we've got a story to tell you guys. Um, this is kind of learning from uh, learning from our mistakes, if you will, as far as um, me personally and in, in, in the content shared pre hunt, pre kill and what we share now post kill. Um, before we really start unpacking it, though, I want to, you know, give a shout out to one of our partners to make it possible for the Land and Legacy podcast, and that's Onyx. And, you know, this in, in, in talking about this hunt, we'll, we'll discuss the use of Onyx and kind of how we go about, you know, laying out properties. And we've talked about that so much, but Onyx is a big supporter of Land and Legacy podcasts, and we can't think them enough for believing in us but also an amazing product to continue to try to share you guys um share with you guys and you can get 20 percent off by using the code legacy 20 at checkout and i know probably a lot of guys are updating soon so you can use that code we appreciate you guys um anyway one year <laughs> how do i even get into this one there was a year in the past 2019, I believe it was, um, that we had a giant buck living on the farm. And we shared some pictures of that deer, and we shared some videos of that deer. And then I missed that deer in October, and we shared a video on our YouTube channel. And uh, there was a lot of stuff going on in the neighborhood and talks and people asking me. And it kind of made, kind of uh, had a lot of people really honing in on what we were doing and so we don't share a lot of stuff um well and and let's just specify uh, honing in um and, and and being too far aggressive of writing lines of what should and shouldn't be done <laughs> yeah exactly when there's tree stands like on the on the trees that the fence the property line fence goes on or uh fences being bent and opened up by those tree stands it was like okay i've never seen this before let's uh we we let the cat out of the bag a little too much on that and so this is a buck this one that we that we um you know you can see in the thumbnail this is one that we harvested on saturday night and happy thanksgiving by the way this is the week of thanksgiving i don't want to forget that so a lot to be thankful for each and every day uh, but this is a week that we all kind of maybe pump the brakes and don't go to work and we think about all the things. So 
Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. But this is a buck that we harvested that's five and a half. And you guys haven't seen a, you've seen Zilch out of a, a picture of him on social media. Um, and that was for, for many reasons, but it's a really good, clean, tall 10 pointer. And um, you guys can see more about that hunt and the actual footage of it in um, the future. It's part of the 10 X TV with Greg and Casey on sportsman's channel next year. And um you know, it was a, a hunt that has taken years of preparation, and that's what we're going to unpack today. So, yeah, we, I mean, this is a deer we identified at three and a half right off. Is we can't wait to see that deer at five and a half. Yeah, it was one of those like for us, you know, a lot of our neighbors, you go in southern Iowa, you go in Illinois, you go in Kansas, you can build a little co op of guys who are saying we're only five and a half. But it's very difficult to do that in the Ozarks because, well, frankly, they just it's it's not Iowa or Illinois or Kansas. And so, um, you know, you just hope that you can slip slip th some through the cracks to make it to five and a half. And this well, year, the biggest limiting factor is age in our area, bar none, like yeah. for all those reasons. Right. So just trying to get deer to that age is just difficult for tons of different reasons yes but and i think you know i i told a guy today actually our game warden i was talking to him um because uh we harvested that deer saturday evening and uh i checked it in on sunday morning at like whatever 2 a.m or 1 30 when we found it and started dragging it and i'm like hey i probably got red flag i don't know if i did but you know me i'm always trying to stay on the up and up so just letting you know and he goes oh no i didn't see it but how big a deer and we were talking and anyway um i told him this when you're trying to harvest uh like aged bucks you're trying to move into an area and say hey we want the bar to be five and a half and you don't have that structure in place, it's like opening up, I'll just say a winery and saying we specialized in aged wine. Well, there has to be the aging process and you're not drinking wine before it's aged and you're not shooting bucks before they've aged. And so we kind of a couple of years ago said five and a half is the new bar. And, um, you know, as I said on that Instagram reel we did or, live that night when we put our hands on him we said uh you know for us the one th quickest thing we can control we're trying to improve the habitat we're trying to improve the food plots we're trying to improve everything out there but the thing we can control the quickest is our man is our trigger management and so we are not going to shoot deer when they're young and we're going to let them get older as long as they're on our side of the fence, they won't be shot. But, and and we do everything I, we can to keep them on our side of the fence so they can get older. But it does take time to get there. And uh, when you look at, you know, we're fortunate enough, the family farm has been in, in Keith name for a lot of years and it's just under 300 acres. Then Chad and I are fortunate enough, we bought the 460-ish acres. So, and it's contiguous now, all that land together. We're fortunate to have that. Um, but 
trying to get age class up when you haven't done it in years past means that this year we had three bucks active on camera that were like, okay, they made it. They're going to make it They're They're we're going in the fall with these three bucks that are five and a half. We had a handful of four and a half year olds, but these three are the targets. And, um, that can be very frustrating. I don't know about you guys. I know Chad, as we sit in a tree stand is like, it really kind of sucks because there's three deer. What are the chances that one of the three come by today? And, um, you know, it was like, ah, just, just like there's days where you sit in a stand and you're like, the chances of shooting one of those bucks, is very slim, but the weather's right. And there's a pretty good chance he, you know, I feel confident that we're in the right area, but it's still one of three that we're hunting. Well, and really it's one of one because the one of them is like just slightly below. He's still five and a half, but he's not nearly as impressive as the 10. Um, and that's just the way it is. He just didn't blow up like the 10 did. And the other one was very inconsistent in his movement. So we're really stuck with two, but one being the top. So in all those acres, there's one guy. And I'm, and unfortunately for us, he had a huge range this fall where he pretty much covered 500 acres every week. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up, I remember people talking about, man, I love deer that move. A b- they have a big range. They move a lot. They're better. They're easier to kill. I totally disagree with that. I'm like, I want a home dog who ain't moving off 30 acres. And I know that I could probably spook him moving in but by golly i know he's in the area and this big 10 was frustrating this fall yeah i, I think to speak on a couple things there if people are in the same let's say ballpark of man i know that there's there's more juice squeeze out of the limb and the area that i'm hunting right we can have better quality just mentally prepare for some potential lean years and whatever you're trying to achieve, whether it is you're trying to get deer from three to four or, or, you know, there's some deer that are three trying to get to five, whatever the case may be to jump, just prepare for lean, difficult years. That's going to be the way you get there though. Uh, just setting that standard and accomplishing that and seeing it through. So you guys are in that process and, and are knowing that and seeing that, but this week is a perfect example and the story of, hey, here's a fantastic deer, met the standards, and uh, we're able to harvest it, right? So that's super awesome. But you guys knew going into this year, hey, things could be kind of difficult to get in front of just a very few percentage of the deer, despite the weather. How many times did you see this one deer that was three and a half or four and a half? Like you can counter that deer so many times. Uh, what was it? The 11, the 11 point he's everywhere. I I saw him four different times. Chad, you saw him how many different times? I think about the same. And that wasn't all like our times weren't the same. I think total we saw him seven or eight times. Yeah. A beautiful three and a half year old mainframe, 11 or 12. That's good. And he's still alive today. Had pictures of him last night. So he's got one more day to survive gun season. And that's usually 
a day to avoid the roads because that's usually where most people are hunting. And, um, you know, for us, if you were to ask me last January how good I felt about going into this fall, I'd have been like, I feel like we're going to smoke several good bucks. And then, you know, Chad and I even talked about selling some hunts on the woodlands this year and saying, hey, you know, like for us, we're just trying to do everything we can to improve the farm. So, you know, the hunting really isn't a big deal for us. And then Greg Glessinger calls and says, hey, we're doing a show. Oh, uh, hunting is a big deal for us again. <laughs> we're back to hunting. And um, and so, you know, if you were asking me in January how I feel, I'm like, I think we'll kill almost all of them. There's one that I don't, I, I feel a little bit skeptical on, but we never really hunt the area he's in a whole lot. And then we roll into 2022 and is one of the worst droughts that I can remember. Worse in 2012. Um, June and July were just horrible. And so summer food plots were almost complete failures. Then you roll into August and we get a little rain. And September was incredibly dry. First part of October was dry. Uh, just brutal. Where it's like we've been in a serious drought. Then you combine, so food plots, they're okay. They're better than they, than they, uh, than you would expect with the limited rain. It was just timely rains that we got. And then you roll into, I don't know what you guys would say, but I will say record white oak acorn crop, a um, couple trees where it's almost consistent, like, straight acorn touching acorn touching acorn touching acorn underneath these trees so incredibly incredible amounts of food on the ground um and then you combine that with just a, a more a warmer october and early november where you had some cold fronts but you know you weren't getting a week straight of cool weather you, you really look for it to me it was a lack of weather changes yeah, you know it was how many how many days do we have a southwest wind or a west yeah. wind? Which we don't generally have a lot of times early in the year, and it was like two weeks straight of a west wind. Yep. Yeah, something it was something around that to where it made it really tough. If if west wind wasn't good for you, you really didn't get to hunt what you wanted to hunt. Yeah, and I, I think that's one thing I wanted to point out too, and. And, uh, you know, on the, on the woodlands, what we call all the land there, um, when you look at the terrain and if you were to just say, if we were to just take a satellite image, topo, aerial combination, hybrid, hybrid map, like say on, on X and throw a filter on it and say, green is the places we can hunt and red is the places we can't hunt hunt based on the terrain the thermals the swirly winds and you say okay here's the map for when there is leaves uh, leaves <laughs> when there are leaves on the tree it's late and it's and it's been a, a late couple of nights um since we killed this deer um with leaves on the trees there's going to be a lot of red on that map a lot of areas that we just simply can't hunt it's way too risky to get into and then even with leaves off the trees, there's still a lot of areas due to access and terrain 
and thermals and everything else that you say you just can't get into those areas without blowing a lot of deer out. And that's, you know, donuts, the big 193 inch buck from three, four years ago. He was a prime example of that. He had his core area. He had a much smaller range than the big 10 we just shot. But that deer lived on a slope that is dang near impossible to get into to hunt. And so you just sit there around the perimeter looking at that slope or knowing that slope's just over the hill going, he's right there. But doggone it, he will not come out of there. It's like I, I'm a I'm a hound looking at a, a rabbit hole knowing there's a rabbit in there and he ain't coming out and there's nothing I can do about it. Well, to me that this year that was one of the key factors we knew a lot of the time where that big 10 was living but rather than barrel in there and just keep trying to get closer and really try to hunt him we still kept a conservative approach and let him feel safe in those areas yeah especially there... once gun season here there's times to strike and there's times to stay out, even if you get a daylight image, just dependent upon right those those winds that you have with the weather that you're getting at that time. And I I know Greg and Casey are huge on this, but just the diligence in basically saying this is go time and this is not, and being firm with that. And you guys didn't push in nearly at all right i mean there are some there are well, some times where one stand it was hey that's morning that's the southeast wind we're going but chad i know that that same exact stand like this ridge in particular everyone felt like that's probably the most likely ridge that that deer's going to die on but you went in there multiple times in evenings and tried to hunt it with the same winds that you would hunt it in the morning and they're swirly and you had to climb down and get out because like no, it's not going to blow this thing out, and, and how to go and hunt that's the thing, like you know that we kind of identified that stand as like that that is the place. And even I mean, the night you killed him, Adam, we had him on camera going through there earlier. Yeah, like he, he went by that straight. stand to go up to the food plot that we killed him out of, and yeah. that's that kind of one of those things. Like you know the phrase duck hunters say, "Ride the hole." meaning you're going to go back to the same hole and shoot ducks on it today and tomorrow and the next day. And then we're going to ride that hole until there's no more ducks coming to that hole to shoot. And for us, typically, you know, I think one of the most common things you hear somebody say is you really only get one or two chances to kill that buck out of that stand. And then that stand is probably burned out and you won't get to hunt it anymore. And, and I feel like, you know, that is such an absolute statement, it seems like, because every stand's different, every access is different. And if you're hunting a stand and seeing deer and they're not blowing, they're not spooking, they're not alert, and you feel like when you're getting in and out, you're getting in and out very clean. I feel like the next time you go, if you see the same number of deer or more, and they still don't spook and you're still feeling good just like and and that oh, the winds are right keep doing it because it can like i would say it's not ideal but don't think that just because you've done it then scratch that stand off the list you can't hunt it anymore because 
this stand called doll heart that chad was talking about him walking by the night that we killed him out of another stand it is like to me a classic kill and kill him next year and kill him the next year if there's a good deer in the area because it's just such a good stand and we hunted it i mean if we if there was anybody who rode a hole this this fall it was it was me um or chad and because i every as people know as people follow this podcast know that i have hunted i hunt less and less it seems like every year it, and um like last year i didn't hunt hardly at all because i killed a buck in october and it's like okay i'm only killing one buck this year because i don't want to get greedy and uh so i'm done and uh i went a few other times to shoot does but that's about it so i hunt really good days but not very many days and this buck this year i hunted good days but and i hunted more days because i didn't kill anything till what day october or november 19th or 18th 19th i guess it was and um and riding the hole was what i did i went from Dollhart to kingsville south Dollhart to kingsville south it was like every time i went hunting the wind was the exact same it was like I guess I got to go to Kingsville again. And I got tired of hunting the same stands. But at the same time, we continued to see deer. The deer numbers didn't seem to decrease. And we knew it was just a matter of time before one of the deer we were chasing slipped up and came by in daylight. Well, I think that's a testament to a very planned approach. Like both of those stands, we have great approaches to the stands. We're not barreling through food plots we're not barreling through anything we're just it's a short approach in not a long walk through a lot of stuff deer using even though that one camera on the shelf was showing quite a bit of movement that we would have to walk through but for the most part it was pretty stealthy to get into those stands very much very much transitional areas too for those people who are listening so like there's bedding close, but there's food relatively close and you're stuck in the middle. So deer move past and it's, so that makes it also easier to get in and out. You can get in there before deer come by, but they're gone by the time you're getting out in the morning situation. I so think the biggest thing on what keeps the access good on those two stands is terrain. And we're walking through terrain that is not necessarily the most preferred area that the deer are gonna walk. It's it's, sure. it's say. not not like military crest, not like just off. Um, you know, as Shad mentioned, the the dogwood or the deer cane shelf. There is, uh, and that's. Did you say deer cane? Or did I just say that? Like the the ridge that we killed it on is we just have called deer cane ridge. So there's a shameless plug sure. for a product. I'm not even sure it's still made. Um, Over 20 years ago that we named that. <laughs> we have terrible names for uh the stands because they all got named when we were kids and now we had to kind of change them but the other the old name stuck like when we say kingsville it was formerly called feeder ridge um which hadn't had a feeder on it in 20 years but it it still gets called feeder ridge if you're talking to dad um but anyway so to me that that we just rode the hole and put our time in and never really saw the, 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 the activity drop off because we hunted it too much. And even even with cameras on it, we monitor it with, with cameras and the deer are still in there. 
So it's just like, okay, and they're in there during daylight. And you're like, I, that's the place we got to be. And, you know, we went through October and we went through the first part of November and it was like, he's still on camera. He's popping in and out. And I'm talking specifically about the 10 we killed. Um, it was, he was there and then he would move over to the other spot on the farm. And it was kind of like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And in that back and forth, he's basically covering a 500 acre area, which I don't know, as Matt and I talked pre-show, is pretty average for the home range of a whitetail buck, mature buck. But when you I think, think about 500 acres, that like so many guys, including myself, with other parts of the farm go, that makes total sense in the way this deer shows up on camera every couple of days, but he's not here every day. Yeah. Matt kind of alluded to it, but I want to say, where you're talking about riding the hole, we rode the hole, but then also I know twice that I went in there to hunt that stand, got up in the stand, throwing milkweed. Nope, it's not going to work. And I know that, that second time, Matt, you and I tried to go in there and I was extremely frustrated and just wanted to throw my bow out of there because we were already running a little late and then you walk in and it's like the wind the wind's got to be great it's going to be great and we go in there and it's like it's completely the opposite of what they're calling for completely opposite like i just want to throw my stuff out of the tree and just jump out after it because i want to hunt this spot and we can't and you need to know a lot of people yeah and a lot of people would be tempted to say uh Forget it. I'll, I'll keep hunting it. it. It won't be that bad. But we very well could have had that deer walk in and spook and change something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and couple that with the fact that it's at the second week of November and still 70 degrees and just awful conditions. So, right. It, it's, it's tough to make those judgment calls. And as frustrating as it may be, when you make those tough calls and you, and you stick to your guns and you stick to like the, the procedures in which that you kind of placed in front of yourselves to basically be able to execute and, and have the success that you did, you just have to stick to your guns with that stuff and got out of there. But I think that let's say from the story standpoint, that kind of brings up to gun season really well, but there's, there's some cool history with this deer though too, that, yeah, you know, three and a half. You guys identify them like, wow, that's a stellar deer. That's a stellar frame. So, what is what does that kind of last couple of years look like for this deer that brings them to target? This is the year. Well, you know, at three and a half, he was a nice, really good framed buck with a double beam and clean. So, clean ten pointer, double beam probably a hundred and twenty something inch buck, maybe more, but in there, in there around probably 120, 130. Um, a nice deer. Um, and I, I just put a video of him on our Facebook page today of him doing a snort wheeze. One of the best snort wheeze videos that I've ever captured personally, um, with a trail camera and, um, just a beautiful deer, but knowing that, Hey, this deer, could be somebody and that would have been three years ago which would have been the year that we were chasing donuts who was a five and a half year old buck so we've got donuts who is wasn't it 
That was two years ago. So that yep. was the first. That was the first year after Donut. Because he was okay, three and so a half. So this was the first year. Four and a half last year. That's right. Okay, so we have Donuts, who's 195, in, or under, he's growing in his in his post post life. He's he's growing. It's 193 inch buck. That uh, one, it, one inch every time you bring up his name. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like our our our, uh, our our good buddy Zach has made appearances. The stories get better with age. Um, <laughs> and anyway, um, we're going from uh, from Donuts at five and a half to then. A really good batch of three-year-olds, three and a half-year-olds, and this buck is one of them. Double main beam as a three-year-old, and keep in mind, Donuts was a hundred and fifteen-inch eight-pointer at three and a half. Not impressive, but he sure turned into something. So we're sitting here going, "Man, if Donuts did that. This buck, if he does something similar, could be a giant." And um, so, okay, he's on the radar at all costs. Let's protect that deer. And so I don't think we even saw him at all at three and a half, even though he was everywhere. Yep. You did see him. Remember, I did. Late okay. season. I saw him late season multiple times fighting. Okay. Well, makes sense because he broke off a brow tine, a G2, a G3, and his double beam that year. He just had broken tines. It looked like he'd been hit by a car or ran into a bush hog. And right so. On just just shredded and then you see the videos he's snort wheezing chad sees sees him in person and he's fighting it's just a uh a pretty classic case of a deer who who's getting into trouble if you guys remember he had broke so many times that i was worried that he was gonna have a brain abscess because it was like this dude has tines broken all over and, and was continuing to fight yeah, it's like this is this is going to be tough. I hope he makes it. And so, Chad, you saw him north bottom. I'm guessing. No, that was up, he was up on Burger Place. That's right. Okay. That oh, was when there was a whole group of bucks running around and all fighting. That's right. Yep. So Chad saw him late season at three and a half. We roll into the next year, so it would have been last fall. He's four and a half. He's a really impressive deer. <laughs> probably in the in the 40s 140-ish and um what do you guys say or upper 30s somewhere in there yeah right somewhere in there right at 140 and um we're looking at him going okay he's getting there but he's not made it to five and a half and where did that third beam go like four and a half it was gone like it didn't even grow and we i remember we were thinking man i hope he grows it at five and a half and, um, but as we, as we go into four and a half, we had a one buck that was the main target and that was the goofy buck. And that was kind of our focus. I shot him around October 20 something. And we kind of, you know, after that, there really wasn't a huge push. Chad had already tagged at one of the other farms. I had tagged and there wasn't just a giant run around that was consistent. And um, we kind of stayed out hoping that they would make it. And we did not see that deer. But, Matt, you saw him late doe or late muzzleloader season. Yeah, one of the two. It's right, I think it's between Christmas and New Year's. Yep. It, was a, it was a warm day. I mean, we're 
you guys texted and called and said, hey, I think you got a uh, still got an antlerless firearm tag. We're shooting some does this afternoon. Come down. If you got time, go here. Okay, sure. Yeah, I'll dub some meat. Anyhow, super relaxed. I took my wife. That's how relaxed it was. Like just the doe mission, let's go. And um, I think we got to this one location and uh, overlooking food plot. We saw like nine deer and every single one of them was a buck. And basically bachelor group back up. And um, this deer was part of that, that group that came out. So that was late December. And I think the, about the only encounter that happened last year with eyeballs on that deer. And I think, it, I think it, there's no service there, but afterwards, like y'all made a great call on passing that thing. Basically looking at body size, antler size, it was like that thing's four and a half, hopefully he's going to blow up and, and do something awesome next year. Regardless, he's going to be five for sure. And that, that late season, I mean, we had tons and tons of pictures of that deer late season and yeah, videos, yeah. like bedding in front of cameras, just everywhere. No doubt. Yep. He was very active late season, as well as one of our other five and a half year olds that we have this year called Floppy Joe who was, you know, in the same general area, but late season was very good for us last year. But we also had grain from planted in the spring and and uh, greens from planted in the fall, and they were, I wouldn't say better. Uh, I, certainly the grains were better. The greens were better, but in some fields were about the same. And so... um we had more food last year. And so as we progress into this fall, it was like, okay. And I lost him. I did too. When we look at it and we're like, uh, yeah, I lost you guys, but I was still good here. And so, um, anyway, um, as we are watching this deer grow, the the spread and the beams are going higher than they have in past years, and the tines are going higher than they went in past years. But there is no third main beam. Um, but as he kind of tops out in July, we're like, woof, target numero one or numero uno right there. That's the guy. Yeah, he, he, he definitely caught an eye on pro camera very easily, quickly out of the gates. Like, yep, that's him. Very similar, like, antler configuration from last year, but just he put some steroids into it and just blew it up. And the, he's very photogenic from the profile, like, head on, on trail camera. And there were several times where um, – camera just showed and showed him off very well in the summer so it was kind of hard to even estimate it's like okay how much did that thing grow one you got velvet on but then two the angle the way this deer presented himself on trail camera <laughs> he looked huge and sometimes it's like well he may not be as big as what he looks and this and that but regardless um he was looking mighty fine in the well, summer well and that was one thing like 
through the summers we knew from previous history he didn't summer on us completely he would come around for a little bit and then be gone and we didn't know until this year for certain really where he was going um and then i actually saw him saw him in person in the he almost said where he almost let the cat out of the bag i didn't say where (laughs) i I do know this where yeah. where you guys got a lot of pictures of him from where he got killed was 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 miles away from yeah. where he was killed to and, and, and where you saw him done Chad, that historically. Where you huh? saw him to where I killed him was about a mile. Yeah. And he'd done that every year. Yeah. He and would it, be on I, one I, part I, of the farm. Sorry, Chad, I cut you off. That distance though from summer is different from where the fall home range too. It wasn't part of that 500 that you mentioned earlier too, Adam. It was yeah. kind of off the caddy corner. So just getting getting people's idea wrapped around like directionally how much this thing kind of was moving in and around this area. Because yeah. he wouldn't he wouldn't go back to there in the fall. Where he summered, we rarely got him on camera, if at all. We didn't get him at all this year over there. No. I, I can't remember in the in the past couple of years, but this year he did not go over there. But he, he didn't, you know, that video you posted of him as a three-and-a-half-year-old snort wheezing. The last two years we've had cameras down there, and he's he's been a frequent daylight visitor down there. We had him one time there this summer. That was a difference to me. Yeah. He definitely was moving in different different ways this year than – the past two years where you know i think about there's a there's a uh, if you imagine we've got this food plot and just down the hill we've got doll heart which is one of our favorite stands where there was some heavy tsi done probably eight ten years ago now that has really good a uh, lot of regen a lot of brush stuff a lot of briars growing up um that a lot of deer like to frequent and then there's a uh, a ridge that he was active on and then in between there's a f- another food plot a real small almost wildlife opening that last year and the year previous he was on that food plot multiple times we haven't had a single picture of him on old orchard food plot this year so it was like he started traveling in multi in different ways that has me intrigued to try to figure out where that is because we've got other cameras in place and we really weren't getting him between the main two areas the main the main ridge and the main and the other main ridge which is where Dollhart stand is and that that is ultimately about uh almost uh almost a mile just under a mile apart and he was making that trek almost probably weekly where he would be on one ridge, we get a photo. Then it, a couple of days later, we wouldn't have a photo, and then it'd be on the other ridge. And you know, we had cameras out specifically <clears throat> for him that were last year. He used those areas a lot, and did not get him on any of those. And they were more centralized to the point, the the two main points that we're talking about. It's just it's fascinating. Yeah. 
like let's say the greater areas, pretty similar in movement, the finite trails that were very frequent or the, the, the scrapes in between those bigger regions, not, not as frequent this year. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. And I lost you guys for a second. I hate it. Um, we've been, I've been recording the same spot for, for, uh, weeks, which is the minivan. And I've had great service. And tonight I've lost you guys twice now. Um, talking, I put the garage door up. Maybe I'll have better service now. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that to this year was very different than the past couple of years, similar range but different movement um, in that range where it was like just, just sporadic to me. Whether it was the white oak or the, the acorn crop or just like drought conditions or like the one bottom field we don't have beans in this year, we'll never know what the difference was, but there was something. Mm-hmm. There certainly was something. And, and um, you know, for, for me, when you look at, the deer is covering about 500 acres, but we kind of knew, okay, this deer last year, what he did, he, he, he started after I shot the goofy eight, he kind of adapted a very similar range to goofy eight. He was kind of rolling in the same area. And so we knew that the doll heart stand was going to be a stand that we would have a good chance at him. But Dollhart being one of those stands that you do not hunt until things are getting right. And the first hunt, Matt and I rolled in there in mid-October. We had a cold front. We had uh, about one of the most intense moments I've ever had in a tree stand when we had five does come down the hill trying to figure out what it was they heard and two guys trying to do their best impression of tree bark in a forked white oak. I mean, I'm like trying to bury myself in a, in the, in the trunk because we've got does standing right underneath us and walking all around different areas, trying to walk to our left, trying to walk out front, trying to walk to our right to smell us or see us. And we're just frozen. And as we do that, as we're standing there, and I, it felt like 15 minutes they were there. Like, you can't oh, yeah. move. You can't even, you know, when deer are getting close to me, I always squint and try to look at them through my eyelashes. And it's like, my eyes are getting tired. I'm going to have to shut my eyes and rest them because I'm squinting so much trying to, but at the same time, trying to have 2010 vision through them to see what's going on. And thankfully, what happened, now, this is, this is, one of those what if games, but that mainframe 11, three and a half year old, he comes strolling up the hill. And as he does, those does start moving back to the South. Well, as they move back to the South, that's when the big 10 shows up about 80 yards, hundred yards away. And he trails those does over the hill. Who knows if he would have been coming down following the trail. If that other buck hadn't shown up, but, all we know is that he was it was it was the right time to be in there, but we were just a few yards away from making it happen. Well, and it 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 would have been very difficult, right, with that many eyeballs right there underneath you. Let's say if that other eleven hadn't come in to try and get good footage of him coming in, because 
I'm glued to this tree with my chin on tree bark and not being able to like look around or, or even operate the camera to really film what's happening um, yeah. with the doe. So it's kind of that glass half full, half empty. It's like, wow, was it a missed opportunity or is it one of those, man, we got a better story to tell now because hey, more hunts, more things transpired and uh, you guys were able to lay it down here just the other night. And that was, that was an intense moment and a cool encounter to see him take those does and just bump right back over the hill. Um, you know, we knew though that was hopefully not going to be the last um, encounter there in, the, in that immediate area. It's just a, such, a, such a defined area of movement and a pile of does working that ridge is like, sweet it was almost it was almost like a that further encouragement of man it could happen right in here it's just a matter of time with the way these does are working these these conditions morning hunts southeast wind six plus miles an hour you get that get back in here no doubt yep and that's where things started getting weird you know i don't even remember what the date was october 16th or something like that um, this was like one of my first hunts of the year. Um, and I know a lot, a lot of guys I've had clients tell me that this is one of the things they like about our message, Matt, is because our lives are busy and we don't hunt a great deal and we can't hunt a great deal. And so like the fact that season opens up September 15th, but it wasn't until almost mid October before I actually started hunting because there's so much other stuff going on, but we jump in the stand and by golly, we almost killed a really, really nice five and a half year old buck on day one or day two of hunting season. So uh, right, out of the gate. right out of the gate, what a short season that would have been had I killed him. You know, that was the other thing too, going back to a podcast that Chad and I recorded back in September, Chad, we talked about, you know, this area in particular of going in and setting cameras prematurely cleaning out scrapes this is that exact area that that was done it's a perennial spot that you guys always monitor but this is the area that pre-marked determined you could have done it when he was three and a half potentially there that deer in a couple of years can die on that ridge and here you go so it's kind of everything kind of coming full circle as he's starting to be a little bit more frequent there great encounter but then it kind of got a little wishy-washy on some spikes in activity and then some lulls just absolute lulls with uh not an october lull but lulls in um weather patterns where it's like my gosh it's the same stinking wind it's been for four days and mm -hmm. the deer really aren't moving and i'll say one thing about the cameras that doll heart is a spot that if that's the traditional put the camera up go pull the card take it back look at the pictures Oof. if we were doing that we would blow that area out there are yeah. certain areas that you should not ever dare putting in a pull card camera and you need to stick with a cellular camera and um you know i think that's a hot topic debate on whether they're ethical or not but um i mean we i, I if we had a hundred of them out there i don't think it would have made our success any quicker um it's just, it was a very strange fall. I'll say that. And so we saw the deer in October 
and we start trying to hone in on it and it's just moving from one ridge to two ridges over and and you're just trying to get in front of him and it was frustrating because i'll sum it up and oh the best way i can sum this up uh, as i had a phone call with a guy is there were places that he was moving in daylight between october 15th and when we killed him but the terrain does not allow us to get in there then there was other areas he was moving in daylight that the wind was not right for us to get in there. And so the wind and access wasn't right or it was too much terrain. And so it was like, we just have to sit here and wait for him to move into an area we can kill him. And that is frustrating because when time is limited and you know gun season's coming, you're like, would you just move to Doll Hart so we can get in there? And he, and he hadn't or- done or there were a couple of times where we thought we had a pretty good chance, but we had stuff going on. Yeah. Or it was during the week. It was, it was always, it was something like that. It, there were a lot of times that just different factors. That's right. That's right. I mean, there was a time too. And in, in the first week of November, Matt, you and I were with the families in, in silver at silver dollar city, but that day it was like 78 degrees. Oh, and you're like, yeah. It's a bad day to be in a tree stand, but it's a really good day to be at a theme park with the kids and getting brownie points with the wife. Yeah. And and that's kind of one of those things that I, I hope other guys take. Just because it's November 6th does not mean you have to be in a tree stand. The conditions are terrible. They're pretty good for going to family and going to do something else. Go to the pumpkin patch. Did that this year, too. Twice. No, one of those, one of those <laughs> days during the week before... During the week before gun season, I grilled an elk loin and brought it up to your house for for the That's kids right. to try. Yeah, and, and we just hot. hung out. It was hot. It was terrible. Um, but now, so that all that sporadic movement and everything, um, we're going to dial it into to last Saturday night. And um, gun season for us is always more about – I want to say pecking the corners or pecking the areas that we're going into areas that are very low disturbance. We do not hunt aggressively during gun season um, because we feel like we can blow deer out, send them over to neighbors and get them shot when they're too young. So they're they're already moving enough on their own because of it's falling during the rut. You don't need to help them along. I don't need to help them at all. And And so like, we call them boundary birds during turkey season where you hunt the fringes and you call birds that are on the neighbors all the way out of you and you kill them. And, uh, um, and, and so we're almost like boundary bucks where you try to hunt and, the fringes and you try to stay out because you know that that pressure you're putting on when you get aggressive is a bad thing. And so for us, even though we were hunting, we weren't really getting into the areas until we knew we had to. And I, I think that's something a lot of people can relate to is we have a ton of hunting pressure around us. We don't have many properties that border us that don't have people hunting. Like a majority of the properties surrounding us have people hunting. And, and, and when that hunting pressure occurs, it's during rifle season. Yeah. So it's like if that 10 day period we try not to push in at all because you never know that time you go in and you push your 
either your younger, your really nice three and a half, four and a half year old deer, or your your target deer push them over where somebody else is sitting there waiting on it to cross them. That's right. Yeah. And so we kind of hunt the fringes, and I think we had uh we had our opening day brunch that our buddies come over and we always eat at the cabin. And I think our hopes weren't even that high because we were just like, Oh gosh, I hope they don't get slaughtered. And, uh, speaking of the deer and then the next weekend we did elk burgers and, and I feel a little bad cause I haven't even sent a picture over to our buddies yet. I, I assume they saw it on social media, but they hadn't texted me yet. Um, but it was kind of like, yeah, we have a wedding to go to or take that back. We have a wedding in our family. One of our cousins is getting married and we're going to go to our grandparents and FaceTime people that are, are at the wedding so our grandparents can watch it. We can get out of going to the wedding. <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing a you're doing a service. That's what you're, you're doing. Doing a service. <laughs> um, but we're gonna get out of it. As soon as it's over, we're hightailing it to the woods. And uh, because we had a picture of uh of the Big Ten midday. And so and he had shifted back to the ridge, the doll heart ridge, and or deer cane ridge, as we've always called it. And we're like, we got it, we gotta go. We gotta get in that food plot and go. And to me, the biggest thing that we learned and observed and kept our finger on was there was a lot of doe groups, three different big doe groups, five or six of them, living around Dahlhart, living around Deer Cane Ridge, living in this area that we had aggressively TSI'd years previously and had a bunch of spice bush and different things growing. So it was more, it was better dense cover than anywhere else around. And so, and I feel like that's why the does had stayed in there, but for whatever reason, they were still grouped up. And it was like, it's just a matter of time before he's in there chasing those does because they're not receptive yet because they still have all their fawns with them. And that day, November 18th, 19th, whatever it was, we got a picture and he was chasing and it was like, the night before there was a buck, a pretty good buck in there working a scrape. Seemed like there was some other bucks moving in working scrapes. It was like, I think the time is getting right on Dollhart. The wind is not right to get into the Dollhart stand, but we can get to the eastern side and hunt the food plot just up the hill from that dense cover, and maybe they'll make an appearance. And yeah. as because your we had had multiple, we've had multiple nights during gun season of a pile of does in that food plot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we basically, we slipped in the stands. We're running a little late because of the wedding. Um, but the, the thing we have not mentioned is as gun season opened up, the best weather we've had all year long hit. And <laughs> the entire gun season of uh, for Missouri Firearm was and tomorrow is the last day and the last two days is probably the worst weather of the whole 10 day season. Everything else was beautiful. You couldn't draw up a better weather front to move in during gun season. The highest temperature multiple day. No. Yeah. The highest temperature day of gun season until the last two here was like 45 degrees. And we had 
snow three mornings. Yeah. That never happens. Never happens. It's just beautiful. Couldn't be better. And uh, that night, Saturday night, we're in the stand and the and it's cold. I mean, it was cold that day. Wind was brisk. And it was kind of one of those you could feel the cold air sinking through your clothes. And as Chad and I were talking, you know, the rut really kind of stinks when you're looking at consistency. The rut is awesome to hunt because deer move a lot, but it stinks for consistency because they could be here or they could be three ridges over chasing a doe. And you could have all kinds of deer in front of you because there's a receptive doe, or you may not see a deer in your three best spots, three hunts in a row. The rut is just very sporadic, but we're talking, where did deer come from? Well, I never see them come from the east or the southeast. Well, where's the first deer come from that afternoon? The east. Little buck, little seven-pointer. He rolls through downwind, never even smells us, keeps moving. And we're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. Sun's sinking, sun's sinking, sun's down. Now we're in the last, we're getting down to Booner Light. And uh, I told Chad, I said, you know, I'm going to go meet the wife and kids and Matt and his wife. We're all going at my mother-in-law. We're all going out to eat pizza down here. And uh, I don't know how late I can sit. I'm packing up my gear and getting ready because as soon as it's dark, I'm out of here. And Chad's like, well, you know, the rut, it can be dead for one second and then completely crazy the next. I said, yeah, I mean, we're going to sit till dark, but I'm going to go ahead and pack up. So I start packing up everything, my binos, my, uh, my uh, grunt call, my, the screw-in hooks. I'm putting it all in my pack. My pack is sitting on my tree stand seat, and I'm taking my one last scope around the area and listening. And I catch movement. I look down there, and I see a deer moving up towards the plot. And I told Chad, I said, there's a deer. Hold on. And I pull up the scope, and I look, and I'm like, that's our guy. That's the buck we're after. And he's walking straight at us. And very similar to a nice three and a half year old encounter you and I had earlier in October, Matt, walking right up the old road, right out of the food plot. He's he's making a, a beeline straight yep. to the scrape at 30 yards, right broad daylight. This is a chip shot. This is easy film job, everything. And all of a sudden he veers off. And because we're in a fork at White Oak, Chad and I have panic mode. And you'll, you'll see this eventually, but the deer walks straight out of the food plot, walks over to a scrape behind a bunch of other trees and is working. And Chad's out of room with the camera. He has to pull it around the trunk of the tree, jam it back through another. While, while, while the deer is working a scrape facing me. Yep. And it's with, dead calm with, now. The, the wind is gone. With my backpack with my backpack on the step on on my feet too that i'm trying to keep it keep pressure on it so it doesn't fall off the tree stand yeah and so and then it finally moves he gets the camera positioned he gets it focused and the deer is moving and i say you can hear on the footage are you on him are you good are you on him and i'm not hearing nothing and finally i hear a little bit of a sound and i think he says i'm good 
and the deer is almost behind a tree for me. And, and at that point, then I'm going to have to go around the trunk of the tree to shoot him. So I'm leaning out, leaning out and I go, Meh. and he doesn't stop. Meh. And he finally stops. And I put that crosshairs, what I can see, I pretty much put scope frame over the center mass. Cause I really can't see the, because he's facing West, it's hard to see and boom, pull the trigger. The deer is clearly hit. He runs over 80 yards and that's when it got super strange. And unfortunately you can't see it on the footage because of where he ran. Chad was, couldn't get the camera position there, but this deer stands there and then proceeds to back up like a crawdad for 30 yards while stumbling and staggering around. And we can't figure out what's going on. Was he gut shot? Was he liver shot? Was he shot in the diaphragm? What happened? And um, so we immediately just get out of there. We go and eat pizza and we come back five hours later, six hours later, and the deer is laying right where we last saw him and uh, dead as a doornail. And uh, that pretty well caps off the story of a five and a half year old buck. We had the most extravagant name with as the big 10. And uh, his name was, his name was underwhelming, but the story and the hunt was overwhelming. How about that? Oh, there was this time in my life, Matt, you know, and a lot of people, when I was working at growing deer, we had, we named all these deer and it was like, I got so sick of naming every stinking three and a half year old and every four and a half year old, every five and a half year old, every six and a half year old, every old age buck that died from old age there ever was. It was just like, I I am out of names. I have named, I've used every name I can think of. And now I'm down to Tom, Timmy, Terry, whatever other common name you have. And so um, the big 10 was, what we all knew him as and frankly that's all that matters anyway when it comes to who that deer was in the world and so uh the big 10 and uh i know in the pictures people think he's a booner but he's just a really nice mid mid to low 50s i think we taped him out around 153 and change um and uh a great deer phenomenal deer. which we really need to tape him again because that was at two o'clock in the in the morning I was doing math at 2 30 in the morning thinking someone needs to recheck this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're gonna recheck it and he's gonna be in the 60s. They're gonna be like, oh my yeah. goodness, we're stupid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's that G2. I forgot. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the circumference measurements on yeah. the left side. Yeah. <clears throat> so, no, uh, I, I think I think it's a great testament to all the the combination of habitat management and then with this one, the, the way that really closed the chapter is, is hunting strategy to try and be persistent in, in the tracking this animal down uh, from a trail camera standpoint, but, but being very cautious of when to hunt him and how to hunt him. And at some point there's going to be those times where you can get into a place and your odds are far better than if you just sat there on the days that you shouldn't have been hunting. And here's a prime, prime example of that ridge showing off like it does a lot of other times, but you got the right conditions. You went in there, he was on the ridge and he died. It's like persistence, but not pressuring. You're putting enough 
persistence in your hunting approach not over yeah yeah for sure anyway i hope i hope everybody enjoyed this episode understanding that you know the this is a crazy thing one one real thing real quick i know we're running late um talking to one of my clients tonight is going what what is allowing you guys to kill deer i mean like last year we hunted pretty quickly like we've had some pretty we're, we're building a pretty good track record on this farm and i say and the habitat isn't even scratching the surface like we travel the country writing plants and and talking we shoot all these videos for whitetail properties land beat on their youtube channel we do all these things we promote all this and there's certain things that are so crucial in our message that we haven't even done on our own farm because of the need for logging and not wanting to cut good timber for the sake of habitat when we're we're just you know we're we're a few years out from logging the place and so it's like we don't even have the best cover in the world we have pretty good cover but we don't have it we're not squeezing 80 percent of the juice out of the sponge we're not we're we're still just scratching the surface but we're a little bit better than the neighborhood and so uh i'm excited to see what happens when we're a lot better than the neighborhood Absolutely. It's only, it's only up from here. And, and if, if you're shooting deer consistently and getting deer to age at, you know, five and a half, it's, it's only, it's only up from here. And I think that's, we all sat there and looked at the deer in between taking photos and some video and we're like, we're scratching the surface. Like this is, this is awesome, but there's more, there's more here. That's right. All right, guys, we appreciate you listening this week. And uh, we'll be right back here next week. Take care. Yep. See you guys.